Hello. If you are into conversations that are habitually disruptive, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian, the speakeasy edition. The heart and hope behind these speakeasy episodes is to be as clear and concise as I can about some hugely complex issues, to stretch our thinking, to ask hard questions, to expand our thinking and understanding myself included, and I've made it very clear that on some of these issues, I may not have completely landed the plane yet, is what I like to say, because I don't ever want to act like I think I have arrived, or I think that I fully understand the complexity of something. So a subject like LGBTQIA+, which we're going to get into the acronym first, because wow. But to have this conversation And to attempt to do it in a way that isn't finger-pointing, that isn't, you're wrong, I'm right, this is the only way. But still, hold your ground, believe what you believe, be willing to call a sin a sin. It's a really interesting place to try to kind of straddle these two worlds. I do think we're seeing that general sentiment a little bit more in the church, just a desire to meet people where they are and not let them stay there. But changed behavior comes from changed hearts, okay? How do we get to these people's hearts? Well, it's not by holding big signs that tell them they're going to hell, right? So the acronym, we got to talk about the acronym because for me, so I'm 34, growing up, the original lineup was the LGBT, right? Lesbian, gay, bi, trans. I'm going to be real honest, up until a couple of years ago, the T was kind of just there. Like, have you actually thought about how insanely huge that conversation has become in the last couple of years that it's been, you know, growing and gaining steam and now all of a sudden it's, you know, it's in our face and drag and all that kind of stuff used to be kind of more taboo and now it's in your face And some people will say that that's a good thing. I think there are people who genuinely think that that is a good thing because, and we're going to get into this into the episode, that is their religion. Anyone worshiping a set of beliefs or a religion or a religious figure are going to think it is a good thing when their agenda is furthered. So I get it. I also think you're wrong. Okay, so (laughs) that is the things that we are trying to hold in our two hands is, I understand. I understand a lot of your motivations. I understand why when this one thing is threatened, it's a really big deal for you. And also, I think you're wrong. I think you've gotten it outside of God's design, and I think that there's better for you. Those are the two things that we're attempting to move forward with. So we start adding on. In 2018, we add queer, which is the umbrella term to include people who have non-binary or gender-fluid identities. We add on intersex, which is for people who are born with differences in their sex traits or reproductive anatomy. We add the A, which is asexual or ally. It stands for both, which the asexual is for people who lack sexual attraction or desire, and then ally is for people who are an ally. I'm just assuming we all understand what that means. And then the plus sign was added to represent members of the community who identify with a sexual orientation or gender identity that isn't included in the alphabet soup of this acronym. 
So in my very humble opinion, this comes down to an issue of identity and an issue of politics. So the identity piece is really the God piece, right? Once we step into salvation, the old dies, the new is born. There's these great verses in Galatians. I love them. I I actually have to come back to them constantly for myself because the human nature is to find our identity in the tangible, in the things that we can do or see or touch. That's what we want to find our identity in. So it would be easy for me to find my identity in being a suburban white woman who is a mother and a podcaster and all good things, all great things. But those things are not my identity because Galatians 3.26 tells us there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. My identity is not found in sexual orientation or identity. It is not found in my race. It is not found in my profession. It is not found in my Enneagram type. It is not found in how many followers I have on Instagram or who I sleep with. My identity is found in Christ. When you don't have that foundation, you are going to try to find your identity in whatever you can. And I know because I've lived it. It is completely possible to find your identity in your sexuality and not be a part of that camp. I've done that. (laughs) It is possible to find your identity in how attractive you are, what boys will or will not do to get your attention, like 100% possible. And just as detrimental and toxic, in my personal opinion. Now, the LGBTQ community, maybe sometimes, not always, does this a little more, finds their identity in their sexual orientation or in their gender identity, and Here's the thing. When your identity is threatened, you're going to go on the attack, no matter what's being threatened. If your identity is in your sexual orientation and people tell you that that's not God's original design, this isn't how things are supposed to be, I don't think this is how you should live your life, which that's a whole other conversation, is that even our job to be telling people that in the first place, that's going to be upsetting. Just like if you threaten a woman whose identity is found in being a mother and you threaten her motherhood, you're going to watch her fall to pieces because she's gotten her identity staked in the wrong thing. That's not how it's supposed to be. Now, I've said this on episodes before. This gender ideology, sexual orientation, LGBT movement has really become a religion of its own, if we're being honest. And the last few years have been a little bit of a digital and sometimes in real life crusade where if you don't believe, if you don't agree, if you don't affirm, you're going to pay the price. And I know people are going to be like, oh, that's so extreme. You're so oppressed. Like, what a victim. But it's true. You can't look at social media alone. Let's just look at social media in a vacuum. People are deplatformed for saying that men are men and women are women. People are being canceled and deplatformed that are gay, (laughs) that are a part of this quote-unquote community, but they're not willing to lean as far as the religion is asking them to go, so they're being canceled. 
they're having legitimately having sponsorships pulled. They're losing their platforms. They're losing their voices. They're being attacked. And they're, they're gay. Every time I watch that happen, it reminds me of the bit from Seinfeld where Kramer goes to the AIDS walk and he won't wear the ribbon and he, they beat him up because he won't wear the ribbon. It's like, you'll never be woke enough because the spectrum, the scale is going to continue to move, which is why you have to, at some point, decide what you believe and say, no, I'm not going to keep moving with this moving tide. This is what I believe. So I don't believe that our identity should be found in anything outside of Christ. And when we do that, it is a broken system, no matter what we do it with. If you do it with your sexual identity or if you do it with your job, I think both are broken, both are outside of God's design. But I do think that that is a huge part of this problem is we have replaced one religion with another. So we took Christianity out of the education systems. We took it out of our government for the most part. We pulled that out and we replaced it with gender ideology and the worship of the pride flag. And I think that's just going to continue to swing that way until people are willing to be rational and compassionate, but also stand their ground. Probably the most unpopular opinion that I hold within Christian circles is I've always thought gay people should be able to get married. Allow me to explain before you turn off (laughs) the podcast episode, okay? Just try to hear me out. So I believe that there is a difference between marriage and a covenant. A covenant is what I have between me and my husband and God. Marriage today has become something that is between two people and the state. It would probably more aptly be called a civil union, but there are differences in the rights, in the, the federal rights, and it gets a little muddy. So let's just call it covenant and marriage. I think that marriage is a legal right, not a spiritual one. I do believe that gay marriage is outside of the original design, outside of God's design, outside of what is best for us. I don't think it's the government's job to enforce that. We may be the closest thing to a Christian nation in the world, but our founding fathers greatly believed in the individual rights of people to worship and live the way that they wanted to. So to the question of homosexuality in the church, this is where I land, and this is the question that I ask people. Do you think that people who have been sleeping together should be allowed to get married? Do you think the people who have cheated are going to continue to cheat on their significant other, should be able to get married. Because those acts of sexual immorality are just as outside of God's design as homosexuality is. If we're saying the ground is even at the foot of the cross, there isn't a hierarchy of sins, which is an incredibly difficult belief system to extrapolate yourself from. And I want to acknowledge that because I think it is something that a lot of us, especially those who grew up in the evangelical sphere we'll be doing for the rest of our lives is deconstructing what was taught to us by Western standards, by the evangelical American church, and reconstructing with what the word of God says. And the word of God tells us to flee sexual immorality. Sexual immorality can look like Romans 126, where God gives them up to dishonorable passions and women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And men do the same and they're consumed with passion for another, one another and they commit shameless acts. That's sexual immorality. It is also sexual immorality to have sex with somebody that you're not married to. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Essentially, I read that as Paul being like, look, if you can keep it together, you can have a really successful ministry and life and serve God well, single. If you can't keep it together, if you're too much of a hornball, <laughs> it's better to get married than to burn with passion, and it's better to get married than to sin in that way. I think a large part of the problem is we created a hierarchy of sins. We specifically created a hierarchy of sexual sins, right? If sexual sin is at the top of the pyramid, then homosexuality or some kind of alternative sexual orientation is at the tippy top of the pyramid. And like, yeah, cheating's not great, and sleeping around's not great, and porn's not great, but... I mean, homosexuality is like the really bad one because that's really outside of God's design. No, it's all outside of God's design. And that doesn't mean that we should act like none of it is. That doesn't mean that I think that, oh, we just throw it all out. None of it matters. No, it matters enough that's in the Bible. So that means it matters. But in this sense, I do think sometimes the church could benefit from worrying about the speck in their own eye than the log in everybody else's. Let's worry about our marriages. Let's worry about Christian marriages, the fact that our divorce rate looks like it does. Let's create resources and build up believers that can have not just marriages that succeed or survive, that thrive, that it's better that they are together because their ministry makes Satan uncomfortable. That is what I would love to see us focus on more than. Who can get married in the eyes of the law? So I think gay people should have the same federal rights and the same tax benefits that straight people who enter into a non-Christian marriage should have because all of it's outside of God's design. And I think Christians need to worry about their own house because we've got some work to do. So because I am an equal opportunity offender, I am going to touch on the T in the acronym. I have immense amounts of compassion for the transgender community. I think what we're seeing today is a natural outcome of years of gender ideology infiltrating the education community while simultaneously removing all Christianity. And what it's created is this tailspin of confusion and identity crisis and jockeying to get to the front of the line, which is a lot of what we covered at the beginning of the episode, that so much of this and so much of the issue with this particular matter is an identity issue. And I don't think that transgenderism is exempt from that. If you can, in all seriousness, look at something like the transgender ice skater that came out of Finland who fell within 20 seconds of being on the ice and tell me that I'm supposed to celebrate that and celebrate that level of ability, I, don't, I just genuinely at this point, don't know how to talk to those people because that level of mental gymnastics required to not only affirm that, but to turn around and point at people who disagree with it and say, they are the problem. I am just not capable of keeping up. I'll admit that. You can tell me that I'm stupid. You can say that I'm 
small-minded. I can't make that jump. There are a lot of things that I am willing to wrestle through and I want to try to understand. I just, I don't. And I know that in part I don't because it's not my life experience. But at the same time, we are at this point affirming mental illness. It is affirming mental illness to look at a man who has been a man his whole life, who has children, who has a functioning penis, and tell me that I have to say that's a woman. That's insane. And I refuse. And I think a lot of people refuse. I think it's so interesting that you see some of the original gays and the original lesbians coming out and saying, if I had known that this is what I was fighting for, I don't know if I would have fought for these rights. That's wild. That is insane to hear people who have been on the front lines of fighting for the right to marry their partner that they've been with for 40 years saying, this has gone too far. This has gone entirely too far. In the last episode, I spent a little chunk of time talking about this making its move into the classrooms and into the education system and that it's the, the age at which we're introducing these conversations to children is just inhumane because kids don't even know what their favorite color is for longer than a week. And we're exposing them to these queer theory and gender ideology that just wrecks them. And we then stand back and are so confused and shocked why they get to middle school and they're just emotional wrecks. A lot of this stuff really stems from queer theory. And people are relatively familiar with critical race theory, CRT. Queer theory is basically CRT's gay brother. (laughs) Queer theory, like CRT, seeks to organize people into oppressor and oppressed and privileged and unprivileged and break apart the normative language of like male, female, straight, gay into this one oppressed group of queer. And it's very postmodernist. Here's the problem with these Marxist theories, CRT, queer theory. They always have a dark underbelly. Face value, these theories aren't great, but there's parts of them that you're like, I mean, I get how you got there. I get how you feel oppressed. So the dark underbelly for queer theory is its direct line connection to normalizing pedophilia. So this is where you start getting language like maps, minor attracted persons. You have people arguing that pedophilia is a social construct, that sexual attraction to minors isn't morally offensive and that they're vilifying pedophiles so that they can have more control over sexual minorities. That's what the original voices of queer theory believe. You know, you can go as far back as Foucault and he's arguing to get rid of age of consent laws. He is the godfather of queer theory. So Christians find themselves in a position where that theory, that belief system is taking ground left and right, and there needs to be a hard and fast line where we are saying this far and no further. You're not going to sexualize our kids. You're not going to force me to call you something that you are not. You're not going to force me to lie. You're not going to force me to affirm something that is outside of God's design while also staying aware and cognizant of our own hypocrisy our own sin, the ways we fall short, the ways the church has gotten it wrong, 
and holding the two with empathy, with compassion, with kindness, with love. And I'm not saying that that is easy, but I think that it is necessary. We have to be able to say, no, I love you. And I know that you aren't going to think that I love you because you have made love synonymous with agreement. But I really do love you. And I think you're wrong. I love you. And I am not going to affirm this thing in your life. And I think that as Christians, we have a tendency to do one or the other really well. (laughs) We can either hold the line, believe what we believe, say, no, you're wrong. And then maybe sometimes we kind of end up being a jerk, right? Or we fall on the side of compassion and empathy and kindness. And then we end up letting our lines get blurred. And we end up letting what the black and white truth of scripture tells us fall by the wayside for the sake of making people comfortable and making them feel included and making them feel welcome. I really do think that both approaches have good intentions. I mean, you're always going to have your outliers, right? You're going to have your outliers that are the people that used to be on LSU campus in Free Speech Alley with huge signs that were all this list of all the people that were going straight to hell, directly to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and they just screamed at people. I think those people have lost the thread. Just as much as I think the people who affirm homosexuality and say that it isn't a sin at all, I think those people have lost the thread too. Those are outliers. Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about the body. There has to be a way that we can navigate this in kindness, in love, and not lose the truth. That's what I want us to be capable of finding and walking. And what that requires is us to look at our own stuff, the what we bring to the table, take care of the log before we worry about the speck. And all in all, just the ability to be decent to people that we disagree with is such a lost art in the church that I want to see us bring that back. I want to see us be able to say, I love you and I think you're wrong and be kind about it. Because I know this hill that people will die on is love tells the truth. 100%. Love that doesn't tell the truth, that's enabling. We got to tell people the truth. And sometimes it's hard to tell people the truth. Doesn't mean you need to be a dick about it. It just doesn't. So those are my thoughts on this phenomenon that's always been a part of the conversation. This is not new, but we seem to just continue to kind of stack new conversations on top of this existing very large and complex issue. And we're just going to have to keep kind of trying to pull it apart and land at the truth and have everything be about Jesus and about loving people well and loving him well, because that is the greatest command. That's what we were given. So I love you. See you next week. Thank you.